may be seated, and if you would, go in your Bible to the book of Judges, puede tomar su lugar, y vaya conmigo por favor al libro de los jueces, capítulo 4. Quiero reconocer la visita especial de uh, los padres de nuestra hermana Gabby y uh, suegros de nuestro hermano Luciano desde Houston. Vamos a darle la bienvenida a Kingsway, la iglesia esta noche y también a todos los visitantes que hoy se unen con nosotros. Hemos estado hablando de quebrando los ciclos que hay en nuestra vida, patrones que uh, se forman en nuestras vidas a veces que nos llevan a la derrota. We've been talking about breaking cycles and patterns in our lives which lead us to defeat. And tonight we're going to continue that study. We've been studying the book of Judges. Hemos estado estudiando el libro de los jueces. Y vamos a... A continuar nuestro estudio, we're going to continue our study. I just want to give you a little bit of historical background again for those of you who might be joining us for the first time. Judges is a book that connects us from the ministry of Moses and Joshua to the ministry of David. And during the time of Judges, there was no king in Israel. And the Bible says that the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Hemos estado estudiando este libro de jueces que en la Biblia nos conecta del ministerio de Moisés y Josué al ministerio del rey David. Y durante esta época de los jueces, más de 400 años de historia bíblica, hay una, no hay rey en, en Israel, no hay gobernador. Entonces dice la escritura que todos hacían lo que estaba bien en sus propios ojos. And I have shared with you how we are living in a nation in which that has become the guiding principle of America. Vivemos hoy en un país donde se vive por ese precepto, que todos hacen lo que está bien en sus propios ojos. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes, and this is always a recipe for defeat. Este siempre es, esta siempre es una receta para la derrota personal, emocional, um, social, cual sea, cuando un pueblo se rehúse a hacer lo que Dios dice y hace lo que ellos, um, ellos um, piensan que es bueno o es verdad, se han desconectado de la base o del fundamento y están en el mundo um, solos. When a people have disconnected from the foundation of God's law, And God's rule over their lives. And they are like a little, a little boat in a sea without any moorings, without any anchor. And that's where America is right now. So this study is vastly important for us. This study is also important for us because we find in it that there are patterns in our life that resemble the book of Judges. Este estudio también es importante porque hay patrones en nuestra vida... Ciclos que existen que son semejantes al libro de los jueces. And these patterns can be broken. Somebody say amen. Estos ciclos pueden ser quebrantados. You don't have to live in a perpetual cycle of brokenness. Usted no tiene que vivir en un ciclo perpetuo de el quebrantamiento y de la derrota. I think I hear an Amen. 
I want you to believe that. Quiero que usted crea eso, que esa, esa verdad le entre a lo más profundo de su alma. Let that truth sink down deep into your soul. I don't have to live in a perpetual cycle of brokenness. Yo no tengo que vivir en un ciclo perpetuo de, de quebrantamiento. In fact, I believe God wants us to live on top. Remember we talked about that last week? Creo que Dios quiere que vivamos Arriba, quiere que vivamos en un ciclo de bendición. God wants us to live in a cycle of blessing. Come on, where is the church tonight? God wants us to live in a cycle of blessing. Now, you got to keep saying amen till you believe it, all right? You're going to have to fake it till you make it a little bit right there. Because some of you don't believe that. But until you believe it, you'll never live in that cycle of blessing. Hasta que ustedes comience a creer que Dios quiere que yo viva una vida de bendición, usted no va a poder vivir esa vida de bendición. Now, I want us to zoom out real quick and look at the whole book of Judges for a second. There's two things I want to point out. And if you're taking notes, write these two questions down. When you're studying the Bible, cuando usted esté estudiando la Biblia, le voy a dar dos preguntas que usted puede hacer para sacarle más a ese estudio. So I want you to look at, uh, when, when, write these two questions down, and when you study scripture, ask the Bible questions, all right? And, uh, and figure out what is this saying, and this is the first question, what is God's vision in this story? La primera pregunta que yo quiero que usted le haga al pasaje bíblico es, ¿qué es la visión de Dios en esta historia? What is God up to? ¿Qué es lo que Dios está haciendo? Because you see, sometimes God is doing one thing, but he's actually up to something else. Has it ever happened in your life? A veces Dios está haciendo una cosa, pero en realidad está haciendo algo grande, algo mayor. So you need to look through, look through any narrative in scripture and see what is God up to for instance the cross we read about the cross what's happening is Jesus is being nailed to the cross but what is God's vision what is God up to he's redeeming the world so it looks negative but it actually is positive si estudiamos por ejemplo la historia de la cruz lo que vemos en esa historia es que Jesús está clavado en un madero, pero si preguntamos qué es la visión de Dios, qué es lo que Dios está logrando aquí, vamos a ver que ahí Dios está logrando la, la salvación del mundo. And it it's not such a bad thing to look at your life sometimes and ask the same question. When you're going through struggle or you're going through a situation or a setback, you need to just sit back and ask, what's God's vision in this situation. Es una buena pregunta a veces hacernos cuando algo pasa en nuestra vida. Uh, uh, detenernos un poco y preguntar, ¿qué está Dios haciendo en esta situación? Because maybe if you were Jesus' mother, when he's dying on the cross, you're thinking, it's over. My dream has died. But if you have God's vision... And you're Jesus' mother, you have some confidence that this isn't going to end this way. 
So it's good to ask circumstances in your life. What's going on here? What, so what is the vision of God in the book of Judges? ¿Cuál es la visión de Dios en el libro de jueces? Well, I want to just point out a few things. We're going to be real quick here, so jot them down. And I'll try to go over these again later. But number one, God wants his people to be free. Now, I told you there are seven cycles of apostasy in the book of Judges, and God gets them out of every one. That's good news. Hay siete ciclos de apostasía, uh, de rebelión contra Dios, en el libro de jueces, siete enemigos vienen y atan a Israel, seven yokes of bondage are placed over Israel, and God delivers them out of every one. What does that tell me? God's vision is God wants me to be free no matter how many times he has to do it. Dios quiere que yo viva en libertad no importa cuántas veces él lo tenga que hacer. I'm going to need your help tonight. All right, number two, God wants his people to be whole. This is just the intro to the intro, okay? So, so just jot this down quickly. God wants his people to be whole. Dios quiere que su pueblo sea sano. Totalmente. And third point I'll make here in God's vision is that God, God's hand is always at work. What do we see in Judges? We see that there is always a crisis. There's a cycle. The people are doing their thing. But in the midst of it all, God is at work. Lo que vemos en Jueces número tres es que Dios, la mano de Dios siempre está trabajando. When you can't see God's hand, trust his heart, okay? He is up to something. He is working things out. Cuando usted no pueda ver la mano de Dios, confíe en su corazón. Porque el corazón de Dios es bondad hacia, hacia nosotros. Y él quiere uh, y está obrando en nuestra vida. God's at work in your life. Right now, he's at work in your life. The scripture says, you guys all know this, this verse, don't you? That he will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him and walk according to his purpose. Anybody love the Lord? Anybody walking according to his purpose? Guess what then? His hand is at work in your life. La mano de Dios está trabajando en su vida y él dice en su palabra que Dios causará que todas las cosas redundan para bien para los que le aman y caminan conforme su propósito. Si usted ama a Dios y usted está confiando, viviendo conforme su propósito, usted tiene esa, uh, esa confianza que Dios está obrando. So tell your neighbor, don't worry, God's got it. All right. Now I'm going to try that again with some conviction this time. All right. Don't worry. God's got it. Dígale a su vecino, no se preocupe. Dios está obrando. All right. Some of you just learned Spanish. All right. Second question I want you to ask the scriptures. Segunda pregunta que yo quiero que usted pregunte cuando estudie la Biblia es... ¿Cuál es el carácter de Dios revelado en, este, en esta porción? The next question is, what is God's character being revealed as in this passage? What is the character of God in the book of Judges? 
Well, the character of God is unchanging. So here's what we can say about the character of God in Judges. ¿Cuál es el carácter de Dios en Jueces? El carácter de Dios no cambia. Es perpetuo, it's consistent. And here's the first point I want to make, is that God has an unchanging standard. Dios tiene un, una medida o una meta para nuestra vida que no cambia. God's a holy God and his standards do not change. Listen, this sounds hard, but it, this is very true. God is inflexibly holy. Dios es inflexiblemente santo. Doesn't matter what America says, God is not flexing on some issues. It doesn't matter if every last one of us votes against the Bible. God is not going to change his mind on the issues of, of our day. All right? So you can just give up on that. That's why you're not going to hear me preach a message other than, than the standards of God. Because America will change, but God will not change. He is unflexibly holy. And so in every cycle, what do we see? God is maintaining his standard of holiness. En cada uno de estos ciclos, vemos que cuando el pueblo se revela contra Dios, Dios mantiene su estandarte de santidad. Él continúa siendo lo que Él es. Now, here's the part I want you to know, that this unflexible holiness is for our good. Esta santidad inflexible de parte de Dios es para nuestro bien. So I don't feel like it, Pastor, but it's for our good. I'll explain it to you this way. If you have a, a little child and you tell them, don't touch a hot stove, is that for their good or yours? Primarily for theirs. It's going to be good for you too because you're not going to get reported to the authorities Now, as that child turns 15, has the standard changed? Don't touch a hot stove. It's still for their good. That child grows up, gets married, moves out of the house. They're now 30 years old, and the standard hasn't changed. Don't touch a hot stove. We have to see God's holiness as exactly that. These are his requirements for our good. He says, if you'll walk according to my holiness, you will walk in blessing. Si usted y yo adoptamos el estandarte de Dios, vamos a tener la bendición. Así como un padre que le dice a su hijo, no toques la estufa, él no le dice eso porque no, no quiere al hijo, le dice eso porque lo quiere, porque lo ama. Dios ha puesto varios estandartes, lo cual él no va a cambiar. Y si él, lo, si él no lo cambia, es por nuestro bien. God's not going to change his mind about marriage. Marriage is between one man and a woman. He's not going to change his mind about it. Why? It's for our good. God's not going to change his mind about adultery, about fornication. He's not going to change his mind about stealing. He's not going to change his mind about lying. He's not going to change his mind about any of the Ten Commandments. They are there for our good. Dios no va a cambiar su mente sobre ninguna de sus leyes porque están ahí para nuestra bendición. So say the, the character of God is unchanging. Aren't you glad that God is consistent? 
Could you imagine if one day God was mad, the next day he was happy, one day he's passive, the next day he's active, one day he's holy, the next day he's not. These were the gods of the Romans and the Greeks. And you didn't know in the morning who was God, who, which side of the bed God was going to wake up on. Los dioses de los romanos y los griegos eran dioses que se enojaban, estaban contentos, no tenían estabilidad, no tenían ninguna, ningún moral, siempre estaban cambiando. Pero el Dios de la Biblia es uno que sigue siempre, siempre igual. How would you feel if you woke up in the morning and it was night? The reason it's morning in the morning is because God is consistent. ¿Qué pasaría si usted despierta mañana en la mañana y está de noche? Cambió, el, cam, cambió todo. No cambia porque Dios no cambia. Y esto es para nuestro bien. Another aspect of God's character here is that God is committed to his people. Otro aspecto del carácter de Dios aquí es que Dios tiene un compromiso con su pueblo. God is committed to his people. Now let me say that again. God is committed to his people. God is committed to me. Dios tiene un compromiso con su pueblo. You're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and be abandoned by God because God is committed to you. You may not be committed to God, but God is committed to you. And no matter where you go or how you try to hide, he will catch up with you because he is committed to you. Dios no lo va a abandonar mañana. ¿Por qué? Porque él tiene un compromiso con su pueblo. Si usted se revela contra Dios y lo deja, él lo va a seguir hasta el último rincón del mundo. Porque él tiene un compromiso con tu vida. Can you just confess that with me? God is committed to me. Now let's turn that around and say, I am committed to God. All right, you said it. Dios está comprometido conmigo. The problem with our society today is we don't have commitment. El problema hoy es que no hay compromiso. Pero Dios se ha comprometido con nosotros. Listen, he walks with Israel through every cycle. How many of you know if we were, if we were God, we would have probably dropped them off after number two or three? But he walks with them through every cycle. Somebody ought to get happy about that. Dios camina con Israel a través de cada ciclo. Siete veces se revelan y él camina con ellos. Y si usted y yo fuéramos Dios, los hubiéramos abandonado en el segundo ciclo, en la tercera vuelta. Pero Dios se compromete a ellos. Y está siguiéndolos. Third aspect of the character of God we see in Judges is that God has declared war on sin. Tercer aspecto del carácter de Dios que vemos en Jueces es que Dios ha declarado la guerra con el pecado. Can you just hang out there for a second? I have I forgot to mention this that God 
is committed to generations of your family. You remember he said he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's got a generational commitment. So your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren might as well give up sinning because God is committed to them. That's exciting, isn't it? You can go to rest and go on to heaven, and God's got this. He's got your family. But he's declared war on sin. All right, number three. I just had to put that in your heart. Dios ha declarado guerra contra el pecado. And this war, we see it in Judges, but it ends at the cross. La guerra la vemos en jueces, siempre está guerreando contra el pecado, pero vemos que Dios trae ese fin a la guerra en, el, en, en la cruz de Jesús. All right. Finally, God's character in Judges is that God is my favorite. Are you ready? God uses broken people. Número cuatro, Dios usa personas quebrantadas. Anyone ever been broken? Guess what? You are a candidate to be used by God. Si hay alguien aquí que ha sido quebrantado, usted es candidato para ser usado por Dios. If you read the book of Judges, you will notice that every judge had a brokenness in his life. Cada uno de los jueces tenía un quebrantamiento en su vida. Una debilidad. Algo que, algo que lo... Lo, lo descualificaba de ser héroe. Every one of the judges had something in his life that disqualified him from being a hero. And yet, God uses him and makes him a hero. Aunque tenía en su vida cosas que lo descualificaban, aún así Dios los usaba, personas quebrantadas, porque Él quería glorificarse en ellos. And we see that God loves broken people. Dios ama a personas quebrantadas. That's, that's enough for me to say right there and send you on home. God uses broken people and God loves broken people. You and I, if we're not careful, we get on our pride and we will, dis, we will um, disassociate from broken people. We will trash broken people. But God is committed to broken people. And I'm glad about it because I'm a broken person. And I can stand before you and tell you that God loves broken people and that God heals broken people and God uses broken people. Come on, where is the church tonight? I guess this is the first church of the wholeness. There's no broken people here? God loves Heals and uses broken people. Dios ama, sana y usa personas quebrantadas. That's why our mural back here is so significant. Because God uses broken things to bring about hope and life and joy. All right, that's the intro to the intro. That's, is that good? All right. Now, can you just do me a favor and go home and chew on those? 
Vaya a la casa y medite sobre esas cosas porque son muy importantes. They're very important. All right, Judges chapter 4. It, it reads, the sons of Israel, this is verse 1. What does that word say? Sons of Israel. Say it all together. Sons of Israel. Again. ¿Qué dice los hijos de Israel de nuevo? Ay, estos hijos. Dr. Estes, who uh, taught uh, Old Testament at DBU, he would say, What do we learn from history? Nothing. <laughs> Decía mi profesor de Antiguo Testamento, Testamento, ¿Qué aprendemos de la historia? Nada. The people of God, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. After Ehud died. And the Lord, who? Who? The Lord sold them. Somebody say, Lord, don't sell me. The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, and the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Haroseth. I don't know how to pronounce that. Hagomai. All right, let me just point out something here real quick because I've done this in the last study. Jabin, his name means whom God sees. Aquí tenemos un rey, el cual su nombre es, uh, significa el que Dios ve. Jabin is the enemy of Israel, but God's got his eye on him. All right, so just let me tell you tonight, God sees your enemy. All right, he's going like this to your enemy. I'm watching you. That's exciting, isn't it? That enemy's only going to go as far as God will let him. Dios le está diciendo a tu enemigo, yo te veo. Remember the Lord, the, the, the devil went up to the Lord and and. And said, I've been roaming around the earth. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? He said, well, yeah, but you have a hedge of protection around him. Dijo, dijo el diablo al Señor, yo he estado rodeando la tierra. Y el Señor le dijo al diablo, ¿has considerado mi siervo Job? Y dijo el diablo, sí, pero tú tienes tu ojo en él. Tienes una cerca de protección. I don't care who your enemy is. God has his eye on him. Dios tiene su ojo sobre su enemigo. You may not even see him, but God sees him. Quizá usted no lo ve, pero Dios lo ve. That's why sometimes the Lord will tell you, you need to watch out for this. A few months ago, the Lord told me in prayer, I want you to call the leaders of Kingsway together and tell them that the enemy is planning an attack and he's going to attack the unity of the church. I didn't know that, but God knew. Because God sees your enemy. Dios está viendo su enemigo. Jabin had a, 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 a general named Sisera. El rey de Canaan tenía un general llamado Sisera and his name means battle 
ready. Su nombre significa listo para la batalla. Not only does, do we know about Jabin, but Sisera lets us know that our enemy is ready for war. That's a sobering thought. Nuestro enemigo está listo para la batalla. Eso no debe traer un poco de, de nuestra atención. Why? Because the scripture says that the devil is prowling around. And the word prowl literally means that he is, he is studying his prey. He is studying you. Some of you are completely unaware that there's a war going on against your soul. And yet you have an enemy who's very ready. He knows what it's going to take to destroy you. El enemigo de nuestra vida sabe lo que se va a llevar para destruirnos. The enemy is a, a very efficient enemy. Nuestro enemigo es muy eficiente. He's been at it for 6,000 years. You've only been at it for a few, right? So uh, he's got a whole lot of years on us. And we need the Holy Spirit. El enemigo tiene 6,000 años de estar confrontando al hombre y nosotros los, los años que tenemos es toda la experiencia que tenemos. Entonces, para poder uh, confrontarnos con un enemigo de estos, tenemos que tener el Espíritu Santo a nuestro lado. Now, let me just tell you real quick, is, uh, verse 3, it says, The sons of Israel cried to the Lord for Sisera. He had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely. The word there is actually cruelly for 20 years. Dice el verso 3, que los hijos de Israel clamaron a Jehová porque uh, Cícera tenía 900 carros de a caballo hechos de hierro y él los había um, oprimido por 20 años cruelmente. If, if you look at chapter 5 of Judges, don't go there now, but chapter 5 of Judges It's very interesting. El libro, el capítulo 5 de Jueces es muy interesante. Because chapter 4 tells us about this battle from, from the perspective of man. But chapter 5 tells us the battle from the perspective of God. El capítulo 4 de Jueces nos dice la historia de esta batalla de la perspectiva del hombre. Pero el capítulo 5 nos dice la perspectiva de Dios. That's very important, all right? Remember I talked about God's always up to something? If you're in chapter 4, read chapter 5, all right? Get in the spirit. See what's really going on. But chapter 5 tells us of the cruelty of Sisera, and his men would rape the sons or the daughters of Israel. Uh, los hombres del de ejército de Sisera se abusaban de las niñas y las doncellas de Israel. It was a cruel general and he permitted the rape of small girls and maidens in the nation of Israel. And he had 900 chariots. Now in that day a chariot was like having a tank, a military tank. En esos días tener un carro de a caballo era como tener una, una, un tanque armado que se usa en la guerra de hoy. 
So it had no, there was no defense against it. If you were a foot soldier, a chariot was going to mow you down. Si usted iba a, a pie, un carro de a caballo hecho de hierro lo iba a destruir. Y porque él tenía fuerza, he had might and power, then he had oppressed Israel for 20 years. Él había oprimido a Israel por 20 años y esta en una manera muy cruel. He had done so in a very cruel form. All right, let's read on. Now, Deborah the prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, the judge of, it was the judge of Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm tree of, uh, of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel came to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, uh, not Obama, the sons of Abinoam from Kedesh Nephtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of, of Zebulun. And I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jamin, Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops in the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hands. All right, let's pause there for a moment. Now we see that a woman rises up, and her name is Deborah. The name Deborah means bee. And scholars have talked about how Deborah was uh, as cunning and as, um, as gentle as a bee providing honey for her, for the nation of Israel. But she had a terrible sting to her. She, she was a, an enemy to the enemies of God. And the Bible says she was a prophetess. Now there's an interesting pattern here. Usually when it says that a judge was raised up, it would say the Lord raised up. Othniel, the Lord raised up Ehud, the Lord raised up Shamgar. But it doesn't say the Lord raised up Deborah. And what that implies is that Deborah came to judge Israel because the men of Israel had taken a passive role in the, in the nation. They had, they had neglected their responsibilities of preservation and defense. La palabra nos indica que Débora, la que vino a ser rey, uh, perdón, juez sobre Israel, no llegó ahí um, sino porque los hombres de Israel no habían tomado su lugar de defensa. Entonces cuando los varones no, no tomaron su lugar, Dios levantó a esta mujer. God used this woman to, uh, to bring the nation his word. And this was an unusual way of doing it because... Now she's the only woman in all of Judges. All of the, all of the uh, heroes and Judges are men who were Judges except for this one woman. Es la única mujer en todos los jueces. Es la única mujer porque se determinó a usar los dones que ella tenía en la, en la necesidad de Israel. She decided that she was going to use her gifts to bring about the word of God to Israel. And so... We're really not going to talk about Deborah because our focus is going to be on this man named Barak. And we're going to call Barak a few names. We, we've given a name to all the other judges. I'm going to give Barak three names. The first name is that Barak was the passive man. 
Now, the reason I'm, I'm focusing on Barack is because tonight's message is not about genders. Because you could be like Othniel and be a consistent man, whether you're a woman or a man. And you can be like Ehud and be persistent, whether you're a woman or a man. You with me? And you can be spiritually passive, whether you're a woman or a man. El primer nombre que le vamos a dar a Barak es que él era un hombre pasivo. Y esta característica existe en el pueblo del Señor. There is, in the people of God, always a tendency to be passive. To just let things lie where they lie. Dejar las cosas como están. And it's kind of interesting if we do talk about uh, gender for a second. Uh, God created men to be active and initiators, and they are, by nature, after the fall, passive. And so men have to work harder at being the initiator and taking the lead. Why did, why did Eve eat from the, gar from the tree that God forbade? Because Adam was over there being passive. Wonder what Eve's doing today. ¿Por qué será que Eva comió del fruto del árbol? Porque Adán estaba en una condición pasiva. ¿Qué estará haciendo Eva hoy? And and women, on the other hand, God gave them the role of being passive and responding to the initiation or the initiator in men and yet women by nature are not passive right I was thinking about this this week and I was I can name 10 passive men like that and I couldn't name one passive woman in 10 minutes <laughs> you know I'm right right yo me puse a pensar esta semana y pensé, ¿cuáles son los hombres pasivos que yo conozco? Y de repente 10 me vinieron a la mente y cuando pregunté, ¿cuáles son las mujeres pasivas que yo conozco? No pude pensar de ni una. Porque la, la mujer naturalmente es activa. And that, that, gets, that gets some men in trouble. Because God called a man to lead. Dios llamó al hombre a ser líder, pero si es pasivo. Y Dios llamó a la mujer a ser seguidora del hombre, pero si es activa. Ay, ay, this is not a marriage seminar, right? I'm just, I'm just pointing out the reality of the story. So, Kingsway men. We mustn't be passive. Hombres de la iglesia no podemos ser pasivos. Usually we wait till the bombs are dropping before we start fighting back. Usualmente esperamos hasta que ya están cayendo las bombas para comenzar a orar. We got to be active. We got to be in the watchtower. We got to be looking out. Where is this family going? Where is this church going? Where, where are my children going? How are we going to pay for college? How are we going to do these things? And, 
And it is, it is not in our nature to do that. We just rather sit in the easy chair. But God has called us to be out front. Are you going to preach me down tonight? Deborah was not an active woman in the sense that she just took control. But when the men didn't, the woman did. And isn't that the case? I'll give you an example. Not, not that my father was passive, but he was in this particular instance. He was building a house for my mother. Mi padre estaba edificando una casa para mi mamá. And it started taking years. And one day, we came home from school, and mom was moving, because the new house wasn't so far from the old one. And mom had moved into the new house. And the, the new house wasn't done yet. And I'm sure Josh remembered we had to boil water to take a bath for a couple of months, because there wasn't even a water heater in there yet. Because if, if passive dad sits back, mama will find a way to get things done. Well, I guess, I guess I caught on to that because uh, uh, last year I decided I'm going to move into that parsonage. <laughs> and I ate on a sawhorse for a few months. But there, is, there are passive Christians. And God hasn't called us to be passive. He's called us to be up front, the head, not the tail. How passive is the tail? All you have to do is drag it around. <laughs> but the tail has to get, the head has to get out there and do something, figure out where we're going with this. And so uh, Deborah gets a word from the Lord. Now, this is very interesting. Deborah recibe una palabra del Señor. Esto es muy interesante. She goes to Barak, and she says, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded, go and march? Deborah le dice al general, No te ha dicho Jehová que te levantes y marches. Now this is very interesting. Why? Because it implies that Barak had already heard from God. If I go up to you and say, hasn't the Lord said, what does that imply? That I already know what the Lord said. Ella va y le dice a Barak, no te ha dicho Jehová que te levantes y que vayas adelante. Eso implica que Jehová ya había hablado con él. God had already spoken to him. And so maybe the story is a little different than the way we, we would read it naturally. Barak may have been waiting for confirmation. Quizá Barak estaba esperando confirmación. And maybe you have had this conversation. The Lord uh, says to the husband, I want your family to give this much in the offering next February. And the husband goes and asks the wife, uh, so has the Lord said anything to you? Well, has he said anything to you? Well, yeah, but I want to know, has he said anything to you? And here's what I want to see here is that this, this man, though he's passive, there's something about him 
that recognizes the power of agreement. That recognizes that where two or three will come together and believe God, that anything is possible. Hay algo en Barra que nos enseña el poder de el acuerdo cuando dos personas se ponen de acuerdo con Dios. We're about to see a mighty act of God as a result of these two people coming into agreement. Not with one another, but coming into agreement with God. Estamos para ver un, un poderoso acto de Dios, pero no porque estas dos personas se pusieron de acuerdo con uno y el otro, sino porque se pusieron de acuerdo con Dios. Can I tell you this? If you're going to break the cycle, you're going to need some people to get into agreement with. Are you listening? You need a team around you that can get into agreement. And not the kind of team that says, man, I would have let girl, go of that guy a long time ago. And I don't even know why you're still married to him. And I just, if I, if I were you, not that team, okay? I'm talking about the team that says, if that's what you believe, I'm going to believe with you. And it gets in agreement with God. Yo no estoy hablando de ponerse con un equipo que le va a decir, yo, si, hubiera, si yo fuera usted, ya lo hubiera dejado ese hombre, ya lo hubiera dejado en la calle. No, necesita un equipo que se ponga de acuerdo con Dios, con usted. Y que diga, ¿qué dice Dios en esto? Y vamos a confiar en la palabra. Now listen to what, what the instructions are. She says, God has spoken, get up and march. Take 10,000 men with you, and the Lord says that he will draw out the enemy. He's going to bring him out. When you and I start praying in agreement, guess what's going to happen? Sometimes the enemy will get brought out. You say, that was not what I intended. I remember we had a crusade in the Amazon once, and it had, they had the worst flood in 10 years. And I told the team, we're going to have a crusade in this city no matter what. And it, it was, it was um, contingent on whether it stopped raining. I said, we're going to pray that it will stop raining. And when we started praying, this storm blew in while we were praying and started lifting the, 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 um, the metal off of the, the platform. And while I'm praying for it to stop raining, this storm rolls in. And it turned out God had a better place for us to meet. So it might be that even while you're praying, the enemy comes out, and you're thinking, that wasn't what I expected. I expected the enemy to go away. But God says, I'm going to bring him out so you can defeat him. I'm going to bring him out so you can deal with him. Is there anybody here tonight? And Barack says, well, all right, here we go, number one. He believes God. And there's, there's, I want you to go to 1 John. 1 John. Vaya conmigo a Primera de Juan. First John chapter 2. Verse 13. We call Barak a passive man. Now, he's a reluctant man. But this is the name we're going to give the message. Barak is a maturing man. 
Hemos dicho que Barak es un hombre pasivo, pero ahora vamos a ver que es un hombre que está madurando. If the cycle is going to break in your life, you must be committed to maturity. Are you, are you here tonight? Are you, all right, 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to what John the Apostle says. I am writing to you, well, let's read verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven. Underline little children there. I am writing to you, fathers, underline fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, underline young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, here's all you know. There are three stages in maturity. There's little children, young men, and fathers. Hay tres pasos a la madurez. Ser niño, ser joven, y ser padre. Are you with me? The first step for the Christian life is, is childlike faith, isn't it? El primer paso a la vida cristiana es una fe como la de un niño. This is what we see in Barak. When, when Deborah says to him, hasn't God told you to go forward? He believes her. He has that childlike faith. Yeah, God spoke to you. He spoke to me. It's confirmed. But then he says to her, if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now, a lot of that, a lot of people see that as weakness, but I see it as maturity because he understands that he can't do this alone, that he's going to need help. Ahora, Barak le dice a Débora, si no vas conmigo, yo no voy. Y aquí vemos el segundo paso. Él llega a la madurez de un joven. Y dice, si tú no vas, yo no voy. If you won't go, I won't go. He's, he's understanding, he's acknowledging that he's going to need support. He's going to need help. If you're going to grow in this, in this Christian walk, you're going to have to go from child, childlike faith to young man faith, the kind that says, I can't do this alone. I need support. And we're going to unpack this more next week. And then we see later in the battle, Barak comes to fatherhood. And he takes this thing and he owns it for himself. Luego, al último de la batalla, vemos que Barak toma el, el manto de, de padre. Y ahora él ha madurado tanto al nivel de que él sabe esto. Lo, yo he sido llamado para confrontar esto. And so what I want you to see tonight is that there has to be a commitment to spiritual growth. Tiene que haber una decisión en ti, de, de, determinación a crecer. De no quedarte en ese lugar, not to stay where you're at, but to progress forward, to go forward until you have achieved and, and, and grown to that place that God wants you to grow. Dios tiene un lugar para ti, una meta que quiere que tú alcances. Entonces hay que tener esa decisión, hacer esa decisión de seguir madurando. Barak went from child to father in one day. He grew up quick. And those of you men in this room and, and women too, but you know that one experience can grow you up real quick. 
Some of you are going through that experience right now. It's a fight for your life, and you are growing quick. I remember we went to a Royal Ranger camp one year. My nephew, he, we were there one night. He, he, when we got home, he said, we left as boys, but we came back as men. <laughs> All right. There are seasons in your life that God will allow you to go through so that you can grow up. So that you can learn a few things. So that you can mature. Here's what I want you to get tonight. You have to commit to that process. And, and here's what, what Deborah represents. She represents the voice of God and she represents spiritual authority in the life of Barak. And in order for him to achieve the, the status God has for him, he must submit himself to the voice of God and the spiritual authority in his life. And he commits to that process, and by the end of the story, he's the hero instead of the passive man. Because, because there's a, a desire in the heart of God for us to become like him. To mature until the full man. That's what the scripture says. And so tonight I just, I'm going to leave you with this challenge. To accept the process that God has in your life. And to say, Lord, mature me. Yo quiero dejarlo con esto esta noche. Que usted se comprometa al proceso que Dios tiene en su vida. Que lo traiga a la madurez espiritual. El primer paso es fe en Dios como la de un niño. Que dice, yo no, yo no tengo todas las respuestas, pero te confío. Confío en ti. Y ese paso nos lleva al sujetarnos a la voluntad de Dios. That's why what we're singing is so important in this season. I have surrendered to your design. What are we saying there, Lord? I have come from being a little baby to being a young man who can say, I accept your plan. I accept your purpose.